If you can hear this message, listen closely. To the exiled, misunderstood, or upside down, this is your message of hope. When problems come, use them. When enemies persecute you, love them. These struggles are a fire, refining you into gold. Look around. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. Challenge what is expected of you. This world is not your home. You are different. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're concluding our series different this week as we've been going through uh, the, the book of 1 Peter. Next week we're starting a brand new series which won't have a sweet bass drop at the end of the video bumper. So a little disappointed about that, but it's going to be good. You will enjoy it. But as we've been going through the book of Peter, it's all on the idea of how is it that we live a life that's different? Because that's what Jesus has called us to do. And today will probably be the most encouraging message that you didn't ever want to hear. Because when we come to Jesus, uh, we do it because we want a better life a lot of times, I'm afraid, is how the gospel is presented. And so we think, you know, Jesus is going to make me rich. He's going to make me healthy. He's going to, you know, do all of these other things. But those aren't the things that Jesus promised us. Uh, a lot of times we're disappointed because Jesus never promised that he'd make us rich. He never promised that we would never get sick. He didn't promise that we would never be heartbroken or disappointed. He didn't promise us that it wouldn't rain on our vacations or that we were going to have an easy life. What Jesus did promise us was that if we follow after him, that we're going to be persecuted and the world's going to hate us. And so welcome to Radiant Church. We're so glad that you're all with us today. But that's the promise of Jesus. And it says this in John 15, 18 and 20. This is skipping back in time a little bit from the letter that First Peter is. And it says, just as Jesus is talking, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And what Jesus is saying is that if you look like the world looks, if you live and behave and, and act the exact same way that the world around you lives, that the world's going to love you and they're going to accept you as one of their own. But if you decide that you want to live your life following after Jesus, that you're not going to live the way that everybody else does, you're going to live out the culture of the kingdom of God here on earth, then other people are going to hate you and they're going to persecute you. And as Peter's writing this letter, he's writing it to a church that is very heavily hated and very persecuted. Nero was a horrible emperor who was very bloodthirsty. He killed his first wife, his mother, most likely his second wife, his sister, uh, all kinds of political opponents. He burned down the city of Rome so that he could rebuild it. Uh, he took Christians and he would dress them in animal skins and feed them to wild animals to be torn apart while he would drink his wine as a form of entertainment. He was just a really bad guy. And the church was going through a lot of persecution at this point. The church was a very hated group of people that was thought to be a cult. And it's easy to look at that and say that was back then. That kind of stuff doesn't happen now. Thank God for that. But the truth is, is that there is still persecution and hatred for Christians that continues right up to this day. In fact, a lot of people that are studying this sort of a thing say that the last decade of the church has, in fact, been the most persecuted decade for the church. Not where we live, not in the United States, not in the Western world, but in other places around the world. They say that on average, every month over the last decade, 322 Christians have given up their life because of their faith. 
And it also says that 214 Christian churches are destroyed every month. There are 722 uh, beatings that go on for people that claim to follow Jesus just because of the fact that they follow after Jesus and they won't conform to the way the world around them lives. Uh, for some people, it means that you might lose your family to follow after Jesus. I made a friend back when I was on staff at Radiant Church in Kalamazoo. His name was Muhammad. And he came and uh, he came into the church. He'd made some friends with some people that were in the church. And we kept inviting him. And, you know, he never comes. So finally, one Sunday, he decides to come. And it's in the midst of worship. Is we're just raising our hands to Jesus, declaring his goodness, pouring out our heart and our affection for him. And in the midst of that, Jesus reveals himself to him. And he just breaks down and he weeps. And right there in the middle of worship, there was no teaching. And I love teaching. It's, it's what I do. I think it's a valuable thing. But in the midst of this, no teaching, nobody told him anything about Jesus. Just in the midst of our worship, Jesus speaks to him, reveals himself to him, and he gives his life to Jesus, receives forgiveness of his sins, and decides that from that day forward, he's going to follow after Jesus. No altar call, no sinner's prayer, anything like that. It was just when we gather and we worship Jesus, it says that he is in our midst, that he's enthroned on the praises of his people. Something so powerful happens when we worship, and Muhammad experienced this himself. Now, his decision to follow after Jesus meant that his father disowned him. He lived in our community. I used to go to his tea shop all the time. He didn't like me nearly as much after that. But it was a real sacrifice that he had to make to follow after Jesus. There are other people where it might mean that you're arrested and you're beaten. In North Korea right now, what Christians are suffering there is just beyond what we can even imagine. That it is so heavily persecuted that they have to keep it from everybody else that they follow after Jesus or else the government will imprison them and beat them and submit them to all sorts of horrible things. And for some people around the world right now, because of the fact that they follow Jesus and they live a life that's different, it means that their very life will be demanded of them. One of the pastor's wives that we support in India, the reason why we support her as a church it's because a couple of years ago, they were kidnapped and taken out of their house by some militants who said, renounce your faith in Jesus, and he refused to, and they took his life from him. And they told his wife that they were going to do the same thing to every other Christian in their city. And so when we found out about that, when Abraham told me, we as a church were able to buy them a new home, something like $7,000, which is not a lot of money for a home, but we were able to buy them a new home in a city that was hundreds of miles away, and every month we support their children's education and food and all that stuff, what they need to do. It's because people in other places right now are going through extreme persecution simply because of the fact that they follow after Jesus and they live a life that looks like his. But what Peter tells us in his letter is that we can live a life that's different in the face of persecution. We don't have to face persecution and hatred like the world around us faces it. Persecution and hatred stir up fear inside of people. That's the natural response. Persecution and hatred will stir up hatred and vengeance inside of you. That's the natural response. But Peter is telling us that because we're followers of Jesus, that we don't respond the way we naturally want to, the natural way that the world around us responds. When we come into persecution, we face it differently. And he says this in 4.12, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. If you're living faithfully for Jesus, then it shouldn't surprise us when we come against opposition. 
Peter's saying that you should expect that. You shouldn't ever, like, I can't believe this is happening to me. What's going on? No, that should be the expectation that we have as faithful followers of Jesus. Yesterday, I was at a football game, and it was the backup quarterback that was starting. And it was, I was thinking about this as I've been preparing for my message. I was thinking, this guy last week had the best job on earth. Because, you know, he played catch, he warmed up, did some stretches, and then he sat there on the bench. And nobody was trying to tackle him. Nobody was trying to knock his head off. Like, he just sat there, held a clipboard, gave people water, good job, just encouraging people. But there were no defensive linemen that were trying to destroy him. Why? Because he wasn't a threat. He wasn't actually in the game. He wasn't doing anything. This week, it was a different story for him. This week, he suited up, and he was out there on the field for the first snap of that first drive, and all of a sudden, a whole bunch of really big people were coming right at him, and they were trying to hurt him. What's the difference? He wasn't on the bench anymore. Now he was in the game. Now he was a threat, and now he was going to receive opposition from the other team. They were going to do everything they could do to stop him. It's the same for us. If we're just living our life and, and we're not really faithfully living for Jesus, if we're living a spiritually weak life, what I mean by that is if, if we're not out there, we're not serving, we're not giving, we're not worshiping, we're not praying bold, powerful prayers, we're not evangelizing and telling other people about the, the good news of the forgiveness of our sins and the new life that we have in Jesus, if we aren't faithfully living and demonstrating the new standard that we've been called to as followers of Jesus Christ, then we're no threat to anyone. Satan, he doesn't care about what you're doing as long as you're doing what everybody else is doing. But what happens when you decide that you're going to start following after Jesus and that you're not going to live your life the way that everybody else around you lives it, that you're not going to live your life for yourself, but that you're going to live it like Jesus is the king who sits on the throne and that he bought you with the price of his own life and he's called you to something greater than you could ever imagine. When you start deciding that you're going to spend your life serving the cause of the kingdom, and say, my life isn't about me. It's not about pursuing my own interests, but it's about pursuing the interests of the God who loves me and saved me. I'm going to spend every moment of my life serving him and creating places and opportunities for other people to come to know him. When you decide that you're going to start praying like Jesus hears your prayers and that he moves powerfully in response to them, when we start praying like we have a God who nothing is impossible for, what happens when we start viewing all of our finances as really being something that we're stewarding, not something that's ours to hold on to tightly and use for our own desires? What happens when we start saying, God, what is it that you want me to do with everything that you've given me? God, how can I manage and steward the finances that you've entrusted to me for the short time that I'm on earth? What happens... If you start worshiping Jesus and saying the priority of my day is to meet with my king and to pour out my heart before him, when you start doing these things and taking every advantage of every opportunity that you have to tell others of the good news of Jesus and demonstrate the culture of the kingdom of heaven, you're going to start getting opposition because now you're a threat to Satan. Now you're advancing the ball in the kingdom of heaven. And he will do everything that he can do to stop you from doing that. If you're on the bench spiritually, you can coast through this life. You might be on the team, but you're not in the game. You're not making a difference. You're not living out the call of God on your life. But we've been called to live different from that. We've been called to be in the game. 
We've been called to be on the team of Jesus Christ, partners with him in the ministry of reconciliation. There's a different call that's on our life. There's a different standard that we live our life by, which means that now there's going to be opposition and hatred from other people that we experience and encounter. But the way that we handle that is different from the world around us. I think too many times we expect Christianity is going to be like a playground. The reality is, this is a battleground that we're in. Christianity is a battleground, and it's not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood wars, that's politics. That's not what the church is about. Politicians handle things in the flesh and the blood, but we're the church of Jesus Christ, and we're fighting the real enemy, which is Satan and sin and death and all of the plans and purposes for which he has taken hold of you, but Jesus died on the cross to free you from so you can live out the plans and purposes that he's called you to. That's the war that we're in. That's what we're fighting for, and that's who we're fighting against. We never fight against people. People is who we fight for. We have to get that so crystal clear in our head. Our battle isn't about national borders. Our battle isn't about our own culture that we live in and advancing it. Our battle isn't about other people and how they might oppose us. Our battle is about laying our lives down so that other people might find life and health and healing and spiritual prosperity in Jesus and freedom in him just like we have found. We're in a battleground. And Peter says that in this battleground, we expect suffering and persecution. And he even says that you can expect fiery trials. Now, that's not just uh, an analogy that he's using. It's not a metaphor. When he said fiery trials, what you can expect is because he's speaking to a people who are being burned at stakes because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That's not happening to us. But as, Paul is, if, as Peter was writing, if he was doing it into our culture or into our time, I think he might have done it a little differently. Like if he was writing to someone, a Christian in Syria, he might say, don't be surprised if someone that you know was beheaded because they follow after Jesus. If he's writing to someone in Indonesia, he might say, don't be surprised if following after Jesus means that your family is going to kick you out of their home. If he's writing to someone that's a college student, he might say, don't be surprised if your stance on purity means that you're not going to go out on a second date with someone. If he's writing to you and I and you've just made a decision to follow Jesus and you go to Thanksgiving dinner next month, it might mean that your family's going to say, oh, you're a Jesus freak now, a Bible thumper, or you're weak-minded. They might make fun of you a little bit. They might rib you. They might cause some distance in your relationships with your own family. Those are the kind of things that he might be writing to us now. But the thing is, we have to remember that we can't be surprised. And don't be upset by it. Don't think that if you encounter opposition and hatred and persecution, that it means that you're failing. Don't let that think, make you think that you're outside of God's will for your life, because that's the very thing that we as followers of Jesus can expect. And this is how Peter says that we're different about it when we come into this opposition. He says in verses 12 through 13, Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Peter says that when you go through suffering and persecution because you follow Jesus, that what actually is happening is that you're becoming a partner with Jesus in the suffering that he went through himself that you become a partner with Jesus, that you identify with him in a new way in the suffering that he went through while he was here on earth. 
Now, for some of you, you might be thinking, this week's message doesn't apply to me a whole lot. Last week's was better because it was about how do I live out this standard that God's called me to, but I'm not facing persecution. Well, what I would say is that you probably are facing persecution in some way, but it's not in an obvious, violent way like some people experience it. But instead, the way that the enemy is trying to attack you is, is to come in a subtle way in the form of cultural, societal, relational pressure to try to get you to compromise the standard that you've been called to, to try to get you, make you want to fit in with other people. And we see this all the time. I remember when I was like 13 or something, and we started having parties. And my friends would go there, and you're like, hey, you want to smoke? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then other kids, like, they'd be like, yeah, I want to try. And like, oh, it's so smooth and refreshing. Like, what? Like, nobody started smoking because they took their first drag. And they're like, oh, my gosh, that's good. You do it because people around you are doing it, and you have a desire inside of your heart to want to fit in with other people. So you do something you know you're not supposed to do because there's pressure, and you want to experience comfort and not have opposition, so you give in to pressure. It's the same thing. You know, you're, you're at the office, you're at work, and someone tells like a, a dirty joke or a sexist joke or a racist joke, and you know as a follower of Jesus that you should take a bold stand for truth and the standard that God has called you to. But that's not, for most people, the natural desire that you feel inside of you. It's like, I know in my head that I should do something, but it'd be a whole lot easier if I just kind of laughed or looked at the ground or didn't say anything at all. There's all kinds of ways that the enemy is going to try to cause you to compromise because you have a desire inside of your heart to just fit in with other people because we want a life that's comfortable. We want a life that's full of ease where no one's going to you know, apply pressure to us to change. And this is what happens. It, it, it creates a cycle that we live in. The desire that we have inside of us to pursue comfort leads us to avoid opposition. We know what the right thing is to do. We know the way that God's called us to live. But if we live that way, it's going to cause us to be uncomfortable because we're going to come across opposition. Avoiding opposition and compromising the standard God's called you to leads you to a state of your faith being weakened. Because instead of taking a bold stand for Jesus, you compromised what it is that you believe by what you did or did not do. A weakened faith then leads you to feeling like life is empty. When you feel like your life is empty, it starts you over again. I'm going to try to pursue more comfort. Pursuing more comfort leads you to avoid even more opposition. Your faith is weakened even more. Your life feels even more empty. So you try to fill it up by pursuing more comfort. And on and on this goes. But this isn't the way that God called you to live. You weren't called to live a comfortable life. You were called to live a holy life. You are a heavenly being. You have a heavenly king who has called you to a heavenly call. There's a heavenly standard that's on your life. There's a heavenly mission that you've been called to. And it requires that we live a life that is different from the world that's around us. And this is the other cycle that we can get into if we will follow after Jesus. Is it starts with us living boldly. We know what God has called us to. We know our life isn't for us and pursuing our own comfort and ease, but our life is about pursuing the upward call of Christ. So we live boldly. We take a stand. When we take a stand, we encounter opposition. But we decide that it doesn't matter what the opposition is going to be. We're going to stand firm in what God's called us to. And when we do that, our faith is strengthened. Because when we take a bold stand, and in our weakness it says that Jesus comes, he enters the situation, and that he himself is the one who strengthens us. As we experience the strengthening of Jesus inside of our life in the face of opposition, it causes our faith to grow, which leads us to a place of feeling even closer to Jesus. 
because we met him in that place of opposition, in the place where the world tried to apply pressure to us to get us to compromise or to stay silent or back down from what he called us to, Jesus enters the situation when we are bold in the face of opposition, and we end up being even closer to Jesus than when we started. And that leads us to living even more boldly. We face more opposition. Jesus comes in. Our faith is strengthened even more. We're even closer to Jesus, which sets us back to living even more boldly. It goes on and on. These are the two different cycles that you can live in as a follower of Jesus. And my question for you is which one of those best represents the way that you've been living in this last week? Which one even represents the way that, if you look at the pattern of your life, how have you been living? Have you been living in a way that is pursuing comfort, that's pursuing ease and leading you to avoid opposition, which leads to the weakening of your faith and feeling like your life is empty so you pursue more comfort? Or have you been taking a bold stand for Jesus, living boldly the call that he's placed upon you, standing for truth, laying your life down for others, and in doing that, facing opposition but not backing down, being strengthened in your faith by Jesus and knowing him even more closely than you did before because you're in one of those two cycles. Which one are you living in? Peter continues in verse 19 saying, So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you, for he will never fail you. And that's the key right there. You might be facing opposition. You're in that place where you're taking that bold stand. Opposition's going to come. Peter says, you live boldly, opposition is going to come. There will be fiery trials. Don't be surprised by this. But what you need to remember is that God will never fail you. And because he will never fail you, you can cast all of your cares to Jesus. Some of your Bibles might say that. Cast all of your cares to Christ. It's a fishing term, is that when they had the nets, they would take them and they would cast them out away from themselves, away from the boat, and they would sit out there. And what we want to do is like, we're like, all right, Jesus, I'm going to trust you with this. I cast it down. I pull it right back because you're not acting fast enough. Jesus, what's going on? But what the Bible says is that we take it and we cast it out. We say, I'm facing pressure. I don't know if I'm going to get the promotion I want because I'm not in the in group because I've taken a bold stand at my workplace. Jesus, I'm casting my career concerns out to you. That might mean I don't know what's going to happen, if my family's going to hate me. Maybe the person I'm dating now, I became a follower of Jesus and I want to live in a way that's honoring to him. Maybe they're going to break up with me because of this. Jesus, I'm casting all of my relational concerns out to you because I know that you're the one who's never going to fail me. Maybe it means that there's financial hardship you're going to face. Maybe it means, like for some of the people that we support in India or in Myanmar and the Philippines, that they're going to be physically attacked because of their faith in Jesus. Say, Jesus, I don't want to get beat up, but I'm going to cast all of my cares out to you because you're the God who never fails me and because you're the God who is so worth it. Now, this might seem like a depressing message. Because it just says you're going to face opposition and persecution and hatred. Some of you might say, well, isn't that a bad thing? Aren't you scared about that? Like, should we be worried about persecution coming to the church? No. We don't live in fear. Persecution has never stopped the church of Jesus Christ. You know what the worst thing for the church of Jesus Christ is? Is to be culturally accepted. For it to be easy for us. For there to be no cost to following after Jesus to be able to live exactly the way you were and always have been, fitting in with the world that's around you. Now, in 1949, it became illegal to be a Christian in the nation of China. And at that time, there were just under a million born-again Christians that were there. The government cracked down very hard on it. 
um, and they did everything that they could to extinguish the church. The church was forced to go underground to meet in secret. I have a friend that, uh, he's a Chinese man, and he went to Bible college over there, and I was talking with him after he moved to the States, and I was like, so, uh, like, what was Bible school like? He was like, oh, you know, they taught us how to dislocate our wrists to get out of locks and how to jump and roll out of first-story windows, and I'm like, yeah, I studied theology. Like, that wasn't nearly as cool. But they had to know that like, there are going to be people that come after them. Police are going to raid their buildings, and they have to know how to get away from the police and how to run from them. Well, after all of this time of the Chinese government trying to persecute and stamp out Christianity, now, in 2016, there were over 100 million born-again Christians in the nation of China. How does that happen? Because the pressure was applied. The enemy began to oppose. He came in to attack. But instead of pursuing comfort and compromising the values and the call of Jesus Christ on them, these Chinese Christians, they decided they were going to live boldly, that they were going to face any opposition that might come their way, but that they were going to continue to stand strong and that Jesus Christ himself was going to come to them and that he was going to be the one who strengthened them. He was going to be the one who was their provision. He was going to be the one who led them and guided them. I have heard just the most incredible, miraculous stories coming out of the underground church in China because they've put them in a self where they have nothing to rely on and nothing to depend on about on but jesus christ himself and he has shown up their faith has been strengthened they're closer to jesus which leads them to living even more boldly for him that's what we need in the church of america that's what we need is for some pressure to come to us for us to have to decide am i in or am i out is my life about me and pursuing comfort or is my life about pursuing jesus christ no matter what the opposition might be because when we decide that we're going to do that when our life isn't about our career when our life isn't about our comforts our vacations our retirement it's not about what we're doing and how we're portraying ourselves on social media. Our life is about pursuing after Jesus and living boldly in a different way from the world around us so that others might know the same salvation and the freedom and the healing and the hope that we have found in Christ Jesus. That's what our life is about. And any opposition that we might face in this side of eternity is just such a small price to pay so that others might receive what it is that we found from Jesus that can never be taken away from them. In 1 Peter 5, 5, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God at the right times so who will lift you up and honor you. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Are you facing the tough situation? Give that care to Jesus. Are you concerned about persecution? Are you concerned about hatred that you might receive from others? Give that all to Jesus. You don't have to hang on to that. You just have to give it all to him knowing that he's never going to fail you. And then Peter ends this book in this letter that he wrote to the church. He says, So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. This is how Peter wraps it up. You're called to live different from the world that's around you. Jesus is worthy of you living in a way that's different from the world that's around you. You're going to face opposition. You're going to suffer because you're different, because you're going to receive opposition from Satan. You're going to suffer for a little while. He doesn't, make, he doesn't try to paint it in a better picture than the reality of it. That's why Jesus said, count the cost of following after me. And this is what, what he's saying. Is, Guys, listen, as, as Peter's writing to him, 
as a, a father in the faith, as he's ending this letter, the things that they need to remember, you're going to suffer for a little while. But you won't always suffer. You might always undergo pressure in your workplace from your family, from your friends. In fact, I can guarantee you always will. You might find yourself someday in a place where it costs you something really significant to follow after Jesus. Actually, it will. Every one of us. We're going to be given that choice. Some of us, it might be that there is physical suffering that comes along with following after Jesus. That's what it was for the church that Peter is writing this letter to. When Jesus in the book of Revelation is, is writing the letter to the different churches, he, he straight up tells some of them, like, some of you are going to die. But it's just this little, tiny, immeasurable amount of time in light of all of eternity that we're going to have to suffer. It's just this immeasurable amount of time that we're going to have to take a bold stand for Jesus and face opposition. And after that, it's nothing but the reward. It's nothing but eternity with our King. It's nothing but eternity with the one who will wipe away every tear. It's nothing with eternity and intimacy with the one who will bring justice once and for all. When perfect love covers the face of the earth, when God's glory covers it like the depths of the sea, As Paul's ending his life, he's in a jail cell in the sewer underneath the imperial palace. And he's chained to a wall so that the skin on his shoulders rubs all the way through. His bones come out and it's subject to infection. As he's waiting there for Nero to end his life, he writes to the church and he says, I want you to understand that the suffering we endure now won't even be a memory in heaven. And that's why he was willing to suffer. Jesus suffered so that we could be bought back into his family, so that we could be restored, so that we could be redeemed, so there could be reconciliation between us and God. And we continue, we become partners with Jesus in his suffering for the same reason. is because we want to see our brothers and our sisters, our cousins, our aunts, our uncles, our parents, our children. We want to see our coworkers. We want to see the people that we're meeting on the streets not live this life far from Jesus, not live without any purpose, not living in the suffering that comes from bondage to sin, but we want to see them set free by the Lamb who was slain. We want to see Jesus receive glory and praise and honor now and forever. And whatever suffering we might endure for this little bitty time, this so small of amount of time that we have, won't even be a memory in eternity, but the reward will be there forever. You know the reward that Jesus saw when he was suffering on the cross was he looked out across time and space and he saw you. He saw me. He says it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the shame of the cross. He hated the cross. He didn't want to go to the cross. He said, Father, if there's any other way, let me not go to the cross. But for the joy that was set before him, he looked out and he saw us. And he said, for the joy of making you family a joint heir with me in the kingdom of God, I'm willing to suffer and to die for you, even when you're living as an enemy of me. Will we have that same heart? Because it's the joy that's set before us. 
is for the others, the people who aren't following Jesus yet. But we have a heart that's big enough to say that my suffering, my persecution, me being hated is so worthwhile if other people will come to find Jesus as their Savior, if they will receive eternal life that comes only from Him. Will I have a heart that says nothing else in all of this world matters compared to that? Because that's the heart of Jesus. It's the heart that we've been called to have. It's a heart that's different from the world around us. And it's the heart that we must have if we're going to live different in the face of persecution and hatred. And we're at the end of this series. I don't want this to be something that we just forget about. I don't want it to be more information that we pack away inside of our minds and save it for Bible trivia so we can look cool. I want this to change the heart of Radiant Church. If we're a family who gathers here to be encouraged, we gather here to worship our Father, we gather here to pray, we gather here to be trained and equipped, but we go out from this place because we are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been sent on mission, and we're going to engage in that mission with everything that's inside of us. Whether it's another year that we have left on this earth, whether it's a hundred years that we have left on this earth, the time is short that we have to suffer so that others might come into the kingdom of God. And all of eternity awaits us to live in and to relish the reward that comes from seeing our brothers and sisters called home and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus, you breathed life into our lungs. When we made you the Lord of our life, you breathed a fresh spiritual breath into our lungs that made us spiritually alive. And on the day of Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you breathed on them again tongues of fire that empowered the church to go out and to make disciples, that empowered them with supernatural gifts, that empowered them to be able to suffer and to be strengthened in the face of all opposition. Jesus, we pray for a fresh outpouring of that breath over this room this morning. In our hearts, Jesus, strengthening us, empowering us, filling us with boldness to follow after you and the call that you've given us to. God, a supernatural ability to love those who would hate us and persecute us, to be able to lay our lives down for those who count themselves as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus, give us a supernatural ability to suffer and to endure with joy and with peace in our hearts, never losing faith, but believing that you are worthy. Jesus, fill this room over and over again with people who right now are far from you. From every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue, God, fill this room with people. People from every way of life. People trapped in every sort of bondage and sin. God, that they would find freedom in you. And Jesus, let it start in us. New freedom in us from every sin issue that we've been facing and dealing with. God, every insecurity and fear that we've been dealing with, every unforgiveness and hardship of our hearts that we've had, Jesus, we pray that we would truly be the church of Jesus Christ, a people, a family who live different from the world around us, all for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to have my prayer partners come forward, and they'll be on the right, on the outside here.
If there's anything we can pray with you about, we would love to do that. We see Jesus do miraculous things every single week in response to the prayers of his people. Maybe it's you've never decided that you want to follow after Jesus and known him. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you. Or, or maybe you're sick or you need wisdom for a decision. Whatever it might be, there's no lack in Jesus. So come and let us pray for you. If not, go out, drink some coffee, meet some friends, and be back next week as we start a new series. God bless.